Hello everyone, welcome back to the Cover 2 podcast on the Cleveland Browns. That's right, we have a new name here, uh, here at Gatehouse Media, the Akron Beacon Journal on Ohio.com, but uh, same good stuff, hopefully, but we'll see. Uh, joining me today is Nate Ulrich. Nate, how's it going? Good, Dan, how are you? Good, and the idea here, everybody listening, is that Nate and I will be doing a weekly game preview type of thing late in the week. Today we're recording on Thursday, and that hopefully is the plan throughout the regular season, maybe into the playoffs, who knows. And uh, we'll, we'll go from there, and then early in the week, Chris Bevan and Steve Dorshuk of the Canton Repository, our partners, will be doing kind of a recap show. Uh, so that's the idea for now, at least. We'll see how it goes. But, again, once we get past these particulars, well, it's the same, same old good stuff. Uh, Nate, we, we are here at week one of the regular season. Browns have the Steelers coming up on Sunday. We're going to get into that on this week's show. We're going to do a little bit of a Browns season preview. But, of course, Nate, we have to start out with hard knocks. And... It's over. The five episodes that gave everybody a inside look on the Cleveland Browns on HBO. It was fascinating. It was interesting. It was heart-wrenching. It was all the things that pop culture people use to describe TV shows. Uh, what What is your recap of it? Well, I thought that it was really good overall. Uh, as it relates to the other seasons of Hard Knocks. This was the 13th season. Out of the other 12, I've seen probably eight of them. So I've seen the vast majority of the seasons, and I thought this was probably the best one I've seen overall. The first two episodes, I think, were phenomenal. I, I thought they were very, very strong. My only real criticism is I think it kind of limped to the finish line. Mm-hmm. I did not think the finale was was uh, you know very good, and, and you know they, it just it kind of basically started so strong and just kind of you know declined from there in terms of uh, quality. But overall, I thought it would, for a hard knock season compared to the rest of them, I thought it was probably the best I've seen. I probably would give it a you know. B plus A minus, uh, you know, over overall for the the entire season. Now, obviously, some episodes better than others, but um, I, I think it was pretty strong overall. Yeah, I I liked it. I enjoyed the whole thing, and I agree with you how it, it started much stronger than how it ended. To me, I think it was a better TV show than a football show, if that makes sense. And I I say that based on the, the last episode, which I thought was a, a real dud of, of a conclusion, because here you, you build up the series around basically Devin Kajust, Nate Orchard, and to some degree lesser, Brogan Roback for some reason, and Carl Nassib in the last few episodes. All those guys got cut. What wasn't part of the show, except a little bit unconjuced in his blocking was why the Browns were cutting them. I mean, to me it was obvious why they cut Brogan Roback. Um, I don't think that should have surprised anybody whatsoever. But like the, the Orchard and the Nassib ones, I really wanted to hear some explanation of 
of why those ones took place. Like, the NASA one in particular, it was just a scene where, hey, Carl, nice knowing you. Yeah, it was great. Thank you. All right. And like, I, I wanted more of, yeah. of the why. I wanted John Dorsey in that part saying, you just couldn't do this for us or you just don't fit because of this. That, that's my big criticism of the whole thing. Yeah, and that's that's fair. But what we got to remember about Hard Knocks, and it is so true, the team really uh, you know does this because it hopes to benefit from the show. Mm-hmm. And I think the Browns did benefit from the show. But it's more of not what you want to know about the Browns, more of what the Browns want you to know about them. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, Hard Knocks is here, NFL films, films like 400 hours or whatever a week, and, you know, with, with you know, countless cameras and offices and on the field and in the locker room and the meeting rooms. But, you know, when it comes down to it, it's really kind of an infomercial for the team. <laughs> um, you know, there, there are definitely some juicy things here and there. I thought the newsiest thing was Corey Coleman walking into Hugh Jackson's office and saying, if you, if you guys don't want me to play, just trade me. I mean, just because that was a nice behind-the-scenes look of what preceded exactly. a first-round pick getting dealt to the Buffalo Bills, who obviously just recently cut Corey, and now he's out of the NFL for now. So that that right there was the juiciest moment of the, of the uh, season. But, yeah, there, there wasn't a ton of insight uh, and I think that has to do kind of what with what the purpose of the show is from the team perspective. And that's, hey, we want to show people how hard we're working to overcome this 1-31, to bounce back from this, to send out positive vibes, you know, about the Browns and to gain popularity. And I think it achieved its mission uh, along those lines. Yeah, I, I agree in that regard. Um, so that that's hard knocks, and Nate, now you can scratch that off the list of having to worry about the Browns being on there every offseason. Yeah, I, I got it. I got to say, I, I, I had some fist pumping going on when the finale was <laughs> over. Just because, from a work perspective, that show is very taxing because in the preseason, you have four night games, right? Yeah. And they're in the middle of the week and you're traveling to two out of the four. And then you add Hard Knocks. You add five episodes of Hard Knocks and that's all prime time. It's almost like adding five preseason games in a way to the four that are already there I mean it's not quite as taxing as covering a night game it's not as many hours but it's just the idea of having another night event and night events mean deadline coverage for us in the media industry and um, you know th- those are never you know necessarily easy <laughs> things to deal with so I, I uh, I've, I've been through hard knocks and uh, uh, I I am still alive. Uh, Bob Wiley's uh, Maserati is still in front of Browns headquarters. I just took a picture and showed you, Dan. Yes. Uh, because I'm I'm right outside Browns headquarters. I had to go to my car to record this. Um, so yeah, the memory of Hard Knocks will last for a long, long time. Especially because I'll see that Maserati every time I walk in the facility and out of the facility. Uh, and then that was one of the best parts. Bob Wiley being Bob Wiley is probably my favorite part. Uh, of the show but yeah I I am glad that that we're through the show and eager to you know get into the real games 
you know, because preseason is what it is. I'm, I'm really eager to see what this team is all about. Yeah, so let's just jump right into that. We'll include our hard knocks talk there. But a big part of that last episode was Hugh Jackson saying this team has had a 59% turnover ratio on the roster. Um, that's a lot of players. Like, I have the depth chart in front of me. I'm, while you were talking there, I was going through and putting check marks next to every single new player. That is a lot of check marks. Um, I don't know how you want to start this season preview other than, boy, this, this team certainly looks different, doesn't it? It does. 31 of the 53 uh, players are, are new, acquired this year by John Dorsey. And I would start here, Dan. Basically, I've said this for a while, and I've kind of haven't been firm with it because I wanted to see training camp in the preseason unfold. And who the hell knows what's really going to happen, right? I mean, this is all just based on feel and observation, but we all know a million things could happen once the real games begin with injuries and turnover differential and, you know, sometimes when the old saying about, you know, the ball bounces one way or another really can be, be true to some extent when you're talking about turnover margin and how much it impacts a win-loss record. But I have arrived at 6-10 and 10 for my prediction. And my, my general thinking behind that is I think this is a much more talented roster. I think there's better leadership and culture in the locker room. I think the addition of Todd Haley is immense uh, because not only do I think he's one of the better play callers in the NFL, uh, I think that he's going to free up Hugh Jackson to be a head coach instead of being overwhelmed by two giant roles. Um, I think all those things are positive. And I think the Browns are going to be fun to watch again. The reason why I'm not going to say I think they're going to go 500 or better is because I just think that there's going to have to be a stepping stone from that 0-16, from that 1-31, to a legitimate playoff push. I think that maybe a year from now, if they show the progress I think they can show, then I might feel that way. But this is still a roster though it's been turned over tremendously by John Dorsey here, that lacks some uh, depth uh, in a lot of key areas. Um, and, you know, I think, I think the talent is much better, but I think it's still middle of the road when you look at all the teams in the NFL. I don't think it's at the bottom anymore, and I don't think it's near the top. I think it's about average. Um, and I guess the hope is, you know, if you're a Browns fan, that they show the progress that I think they'll make and that John Dorsey, you know, continues to receive opportunities to, you know, continue to bolster that talent and to add that depth, uh, that quality depth, and uh, some of the most important parts of the team. But it's just not there yet. And here's the one shining example I can give you, Dan, that are just being general and I'm going to give you the specific example you know it's Thursday before the regular season opener Hugh Jackson knows who he's going to start at left tackle and left guard 
but that has just kind of crystallized here in the last couple of days for him. And I think that that is a concern. I mean, Joe Thomas retired in March, and I think really solving this left tackle issue has been more difficult than the Browns have anticipated. They haven't said it, but that's my interpretation and my view of the whole thing. And let's not forget, this is one of the most important positions in the NFL. Yeah, the, the, the left tackle thing is really strange to me because, like you said, they've known since March what, what's going on here. But just in general, going back to your 6-10 and 10 record prediction, that is a big turnaround. Like, if you applied a six-win improvement to a team that is and 3-13 the season before, and 3-13 and 13 is a god-awful, miserable record. But if you apply a six-win improvement to that to 9-7, and seven, that is a team right on the fringe of being in the playoffs or, like the Bills last year, being in the playoffs. So six wins is – six and ten isn't great, a six-win improvement is pretty bold. Um, I'm not quite there yet, I don't think. I mean, I know there are things like just natural things you can point to, like there's no way the Browns will be minus 28 in turnovers again this year. That's just that's just not a thing. Their red zone efficiency was unbelievably bad last season. You, you would think with a veteran quarterback and a veteran running back in Carlos Hyde, that would just naturally improve. But all the way to six wins, wow. I've been leaning toward 4-12 and 12 to 5-11, and 11, to be honest with you. Um, I, I think it's neat that there are people out there, like Robert Mays of The Ringer said, don't be surprised if the Browns are in wild card contention. I think that's neat. I hope it happens. Boy, that, that's a huge turnaround. That, that's a really huge turnaround, and that's the one I'm not willing to predict. I don't feel that. I'm saying this is the stepping stone year, and I think that they are talented enough to win six games, Dan. If they don't, I think it's a big disappointment, and I think six is real, really where Hugh Jackson should need to get to keep his job. Yeah. I don't know if he can get there, and I don't know that he won't keep his job if he doesn't get there. I do strongly believe that he won't get his, he won't keep his job if he, he only wins say three games. I agree. You know, maybe he can keep it if he is at five, and you know, it kind of depends how they play and you know how they're playing down the stretch and how they play in the division. You know, there are different variables and factors once you kind of get to that, you know, bubble, uh, you know, number of wins, so to speak. Um, but I do think that they are talented enough on paper to win six games, and they ought to. Uh, and I, I think that they would be underachieving if they don't. Here's another thing, Dan. Yeah, it is a six-game improvement. The Chiefs had a nine-game improvement when John Dorsey came in That's true. in 2013. Now, I talked to John Dorsey. We've got a Q&A up on Ohio.com slash Browns that we put up this morning. I talked to him the other day for 20 minutes in his office, and he was, you know, we covered a, a many, many topics, but one of the things he said was that when he turned it over in Kansas City, because I asked him, does this year feel like that year? Does this year feel like 2013 when you and Andy Reid took over a 2-14 and 14 team in Kansas City, or do you feel like this is going to take longer because you inherited 
one and thirty-one. Yeah, I mean the Chiefs were bad, right? The year before those guys got there, two and fourteen. But you know the the, the Browns were even worse. You know, one and fifteen, then zero oh and sixteen, and and his his, uh, his answer contained some of this information. He said that he turned over uh, twenty-nine of the fifty-two players on that roster. So obviously a couple more that he's done here with the thirty-one of, of fifty-three. So, so 29 of 53 in Kansas City, 31 of 53 here. Similar, similar uh, turnover on the roster, uh, but but slightly less in Kansas City. And uh, he also said that, you know, he thinks that if you to really do it right and have that sustained success that all GMs are looking for, he thinks it's going to be like a three three or four year thing. Of course, you try to accelerate it, but to really do a good job, he said three to four years. So. He's not out there saying that this is feeling like Kansas City all over again. And, of course, he had Andy Reid by his side, who's one of the best coaches in the NFL and has been for a long time, so that helps. Mm-hmm. Here he's got Hugh Jackson, and this is an arranged marriage. Uh, so that's definitely a, a much different dynamic. Um, but that was a nine-win a nine win leap because those guys, after inheriting 2-14, and 14, went 11-5 and five and went to the playoffs. Um, so that's just a point of reference I, I don't see a nine win leap here uh, I'm going I'm going uh, considerably less than that but I'm not going uh, I'm not going to go and say that uh, they're not talented enough to win six I think they are hmm. so let's let's stick with your your six and ten idea here I'm not going to yeah. ask you about Hugh Jackson retaining his job because like like you said there's a lot of things that are going to factor into that Sure, and I already went there too. I right. mean, but yeah. but through a through that's a six, definitely something to look at. Through a six and ten window prediction, is Baker Mayfield a part of that? As yeah, a, I think he is. I think he is, Dan. I think so too. I do. I do. I just. I think that unless you're really hovering around five hundred. You know, maybe a game under or at 500. You know, after the midpoint of the season, if you're in that spot, then you're saying I, we have a chance to be in the playoffs, right? We're in the hunt, yeah, legitimately, not just mathematically. And if you're in the hunt, there's not going to be a reason to bail on Tyrod Taylor, right? But anything less than that, and I think you're going to want to see future of the franchise start to get some experience especially because he's not one of these guys who's played two seasons in college he's played 48 he's 23 years old and he's much more experienced than even say a guy from John Dorsey's past Aaron Rodgers was when he sat behind a Hall of Famer and Brett Favre he came out of college with 25 starts so Baker Mayfield is literally twice as experienced coming into the NFL as uh, Aaron Rodgers was. So I think you want to see him sooner than later. Yeah. Um, A couple more things on on the season preview idea here. If if you take the quarterback position out of this, because the quarterbacks always get talked about to death, and we've certainly done it on, on our podcasts here, I can't remember the last time a Browns player was hyped up this much in the preseason as Miles Garrett is, and I think that's a great thing, and obviously it's what you want out of a 
former first overall pick, but boy, Nate, everybody is on Miles Garrett right now. The, the next superstar pass rusher in the NFL. There's profiles about him everywhere, how much he loves dinosaurs, how unique of a person he is, the whole thing. Um, I thought it was amazing. He coached Car or he coached Nate Orchard up at Hard Knocks when coaches seemingly didn't notice things Miles Garrett did. Uh, yeah, he he seems the most hyped Browns player I can remember, other than quarterback stuff. Am I am I seeing that correctly? Because boy, it, it's everywhere. Um, I agree for the most part, but I would say that Josh Gordon still has that kind of. Uh, I guess appeal or um, you know the buzz ability to uh, yeah buzz ability to uh, get the hype machine uh, up and running and a bit out of control. Um, as much football as Josh Gordon has missed, people look at him and they watch the videos of him working out on Instagram or Snapchat, and they start losing their freaking minds all over again and thinking he's the savior every single time he's away from the team and there's hope that he can come back it starts to build and build and build and uh, I don't know if that hype's there among the media anymore I mean I certainly I don't believe it is from my standpoint and my coverage because I always try to frame everything with the caveat that you just don't know what his availability is going to be and if he's here then it's a bonus given his public struggle with with addiction uh that's a reality um but i i do think the people just lose their minds over josh gordon the fans um but but to your point about garrett yeah i mean i he was yeah i i posted my big one-on-one with him from two uh on tuesday on again on the website ohio.com slash browns and we're going to run it in the, one of the weekend papers, and it's one of the things that I knew I had to get done uh, because he is, in many ways, other than Baker Mayfield, who's now waiting in the wings, Garrett is uh, the face of the franchise in many ways. So, Dan, I, I got to tell you, you saw it, uh, especially in that third preseason game against the Eagles. This guy is poised for a huge year. He's just got to stay healthy. It's the huge but if with him. Um, and, and as long as he can stay healthy, then I think we're going to see a breakout year. When I look at history, and I talk to Miles about this, his mentor is Bruce Smith, who had like, I don't know, six, six and a half sacks his rookie year, and then had 15 the next year. Khalil Mack, when he's a rookie in 2014, he might have had like four, four and a half sacks. The next year he had 15. I think we can see that kind of leap that we've seen from some of the other great pass rushers from Miles Garrett this year. I'm glad you mentioned that because my closing question on Miles Garrett was going to be, what's your sack total prediction for him? And 15 sounds pretty good, especially compared to who you compared him to there or talked about there. Um, Yeah, I I would go with... uh... I mean, that that's the frame of reference. I, yeah. I would put it a touch under 15 if I'm going to predict it. I think, I would, I think I'm going to go with 12. I'm going to go full superstar breakout and say 16. Uh, I love it. Yeah, I, I just think he's, he's such the real deal. 
Um, so I'm a little more bullish on the Browns' overall record, and you're a little more more bullish on Miles Garrett's sack total. Yeah. Um, what's next here? Uh, Nate, let, let's say this. Let me ask you this question. On a national level, the Browns have Jarvis Landry, Tyrod Taylor, Baker Mayfield, Miles Garrett, and I'll even throw Carlos Hyde into this pile of players who are just known to the average Joe Blow fan. That guy's pretty good, or that guy's really interesting, and Josh Gordon. Throw him in there, too. Um, If you had to predict a breakout player on this team besides those kind of national names, do you have one? Well, Duke Johnson, uh, I think, was the best playmaker on the team last year, but that wouldn't be a breakout because he already did that. Um, he would be much better known nationally if the Browns had won anything, mm. you know, in the last couple of years. Um, but for like a true breakout season, and I, I think I would pick one of the defensive backs. Denzel Ward's got a shot, and Jabril Peppers has a shot. Uh, Jabril Peppers just playing the position that he's supposed to play. I think gives him a chance to live up to his status as a first-round pick. I love his attitude, his passion. I think he is a really good football player. I don't think it was a fluke that he was as good as he was in Michigan. Um, that all got kind of lost last year in the crazy role that he was playing in the defense, that angel position, and we all know the jokes that go with that, how far away he was from the ball and everything. And then Denzel Ward, I just think that this is a guy who's going to have an opportunity to make a name for himself right away because he is going to have some of the toughest assignments on the team week in and week out. I mean, if you look at the schedule the Browns have, there is a top-notch alpha receiver on almost all these teams. And Denzel Ward is covering those guys for most of those games, not even all of them, but if he's as the majority of the uh, snaps going against, you know, Antonio Brown, A.J. Green, you know, DeAndre Hopkins, um, Amari Cooper. Um, there's a ton of guys, and I'm just thinking of a few of them off the top of my head, and there are much more. There's, like, literally one every week. And if he can hold his own, the way he's held his own out here in training camp against Jarvis Landry and Josh Gordon – and people are going to start talking about Denzel Ward being a really good pick at number four overall. Yeah, he he was the one I tabbed, and the other one, if I had to pick one, was Antonio Callaway, because you know several years ago now, when the Cardinals had like Larry Fitzgerald and Anquan Bolden being really great players, then John Brown came along, and he was this small guy but he was a super dynamic. He didn't have the huge, massive stats like, like Fitzgerald and Bolden do, but when he got the ball, he made, made huge plays and was just a home run type of player, kind of like Tyreek Hill, I guess, last year for the Chiefs. I don't think Callaway's going to have the season like Jarvis Landry or Josh Gordon, but I, I think there's going to be moments that he can have that just kind of capture people that that will just be these big massive plays and 
I kind of think the Browns are relying on that too. Um, and it, the other one I would say is whoever ends up playing left tackle, and if if they if they play reasonably well, uh, that that player is going to be kind of interesting. So Nate, that is that's my transition, I guess, from our season preview into the the Steelers game on Sunday of. There's no way Desmond Harrison is actually going to play left tackle on Sunday, is there? We're recording this on Thursday afternoon. <laughs> Hugh Jackson said he's going to announce it on Friday. Yeah. Um, is, is Does Desmond Harrison actually have a shot to play left tackle in, in week one? Yes. Wow. Who do you I think will play left tackle in week one? Desmond Harrison. Wow. But I don't feel super, super strong about it. I just think that uh, if I had to make that call, I'm, I would, right now, ahead of Hugh Jackson making the announcement, I would say Desmond Harrison. Do you You're think, asking me. I can't say, oh, I don't know. Yeah. i got to make a decision. That's who I'm going That's who I think that, uh, you know, if I had to say, that's who I think they're going to give the nod to. Well, you're also the same guy who hit every single Hard Knocks release call correctly that we did last week. Um, so it's not like you're just some Joe Schmo. Do you think Desmond Harrison showed enough, particularly in the fourth game of the preseason, to warrant that position, or is it just kind of a circumstance of where the Browns are with left tackle? I think it's a circumstance of where they're at. He only had 70-some snaps in the preseason total. He missed the first game because of a toe injury. He missed the first, like, 11 practices of camp. He came back on August 12th off the top of my head. I believe that's the correct date. Um, So this is limited. Like, they had, like, 242 preseason snaps. I counted all these up from uh, Austin Corbett. So they really have a good feel for what they think Austin Corbett can do. but Desmond Harrison, I, I mean, obviously they're seeing him practice all week and stuff. You know, the media has been shut out for the last two weeks of these practices. So they're getting they're getting that sample size uh, bolstered. But to me, they just haven't seen him as much in live action as they have seen some of these other guys. So that's why I say it's more of a circumstance thing. Having said that, they, they obviously really like him if they're going to go ahead and do this. Um, it just kind of comes out of nowhere. You know, they moved Joel Batonio from left guard where he started the last four years to left tackle on August 1st out of desperation because Sean Coleman wasn't getting the job done. They trade Sean Coleman for basically nothing over cut down weekend, a seventh round pick from the 49ers. And here we are the last last week in the buildup to the, the opener potentially changing the left tackle again. And again, this goes to my whole... <laughs> Thing that I said earlier was I, I just can't get to where that guy from the ringer and other people nationally have gotten saying the Browns could be the surprise team this year and make right. a wild card run. Mm-hmm. This is a huge area of concern. The thing with Desmond Harrison and Bob Wiley said it in June at the end of mandatory minicamp. This guy athletically it moves, is smooth, and looks the part more than anybody else they have at left tackle on the roster. However, it is not certain whether he's going to know his assignment every single down because he is trying to learn 
the playbook, learn the NFL game, and mentally, he's just not rock solid yet. And if you've watched Browns games and people who've listened to this podcast have, you've seen quarterbacks get hurt in Cleveland before. And having a left tackle who is susceptible because of inexperience to missed assignments really concerns me. Yeah, and that, that should concern everybody. Um, so I, I, I did want to start out there just for the sake of a, a transition into the Steelers game. But, Nate, everybody is talking about going to this game. There's no Le'Veon Bell playing for the Steelers this week. Um, I, I know some Browns fans might be excited about that, but Le'Veon Bell isn't the player who killed the Browns in, in week one last year. That was Antonio Brown. Um the Browns were right in that game. It, it ended up being 21-18. to 18. It, To me, the, the Le'Veon Bell part of it is being a little overstated. It, can the Browns actually stop Antonio Brown for once? Because it seems like he, he torches Cleveland every time they play. That's, that's the matchup to watch. I mean, there's so many important things to watch. Tyrod Taylor's play is going to make a huge... Um, difference whether the Browns win or lose obviously the quarterback's the most important but Antonio Brown just took over that game last year and he's just you know I don't know who you want to say is the best receiver in the league but it's got to be him or Odell Beckham Um, you know obviously Julio Jones is in that conversation there's some really good ones but he's right up there and you know this is a secondary that was totally revamped in the offseason we talked a lot about Denzel Ward earlier but Terrence Mitchell is the other starting corner. And, you know, he might be matched up a lot against Antonio Brown as well, unless they have Ward near Brown. And Ward obviously did not want to disclose that. He talked today and said, we'll see when we get to the game, uh, whether or not he will actually be following Brown everywhere. Um, I kind of tend to think in the guy's first game, even though you draft him fourth overall, that you might not have him near Antonio Brown right out the gate and just play his side instead and so we could see a lot of Terrence Mitchell against Antonio Brown if that's the way that Greg Williams chooses to go so this is going to be a huge matchup for these guys um, you know I, and I think that you're right I mean Le'Veon Bell I mean the Browns hope to take advantage of that obviously he's a tremendous player but you, you saw that in the media the offensive line turned on him yesterday and I think they're determined to really block their asses <laughs> off for James Conner. I yeah. really do. Yeah, that's true. Uh, and, and, and they're very high on James Conner over there. So I wouldn't sleep on him either. And the Browns certainly can't think like, oh, we've got a break now, you know, that the, the Le'Veon's not playing uh, and underestimate James Conner. That would be a huge mistake, I think. Yeah. Eh, yeah. Eh, the, the Pittsburgh offense is, is lethal, I think, regardless of who – carries the football as the running back. Nate, anything else for this game before we we head out here? Well, I I guess just to kind of say what we think could happen, and uh, although I have the Browns going 6-10, I do have them taking an L here. You know, they're 1-18 in openers since 1999. Um, Ben Roethlisberger is 21-2 against them uh, as a starter. Um, it's hard for me to get over that 
and then you throw in the whole left tackle situation and just my skepticism about it, and then you throw in Antonio Brown and how difficult he is to defend, and um, I've got the Browns losing 27-20. Um, certainly, I am optimistic that this team can get to the six wins I talked about, but I just think they're going to have to wait. Uh, I don't see it happening in week one. Hmm. I agree on, on the Browns losing. I'm going to go 24 to 10. I will say I think Miles Garrett gets his sack on Ben Roethlisberger. That that is a prediction I'm willing to. That's to a consolation out. prize. Yes, <laughs> and it will be a good one too. Not one of those coverage sacks or he barely got him sacks. I think he'll legit lick him, lick him pretty good. Um, all right, Nate. So that's going to do it here this week. Like Nate's been saying, he has a bunch of stuff over at Ohio.com slash Browns. Some really, really great stuff. Miles Garrett's story is really good. The uh, John Dorsey story, the Q&A, it's a great read. Um, I, I think Nate provided more in that than Hard Knocks provided in the, the fifth episode of the season. Um, so that that's over there, too. We got some stuff from Steve Dorshuk of the Canton Repository. And again, that's all at Ohio.com slash Browns. But that's going to do it for... Cover 2, a podcast on the Cleveland Browns here. And make sure you're following Nate on Twitter. He's by Nate Ulrich, by the way. Um, but you probably know that already if you're listening still. So that's going to do it for our show, looking ahead to the Cleveland Browns regular season and week one against the Steelers. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And we'll talk to you next time.